Hi, this is Daniel James, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R each Tuesday evening. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. Welcome to episode 00000090 of The Mission. My name is Daniel James, broadcasting to you from Triple R World Headquarters at the end of the line in uh, East Brunswick. Great to be back here. And as we all know, that uh, the headquarters of Triple R is on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. And I know that this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Uh, yes, I am back in the studio and I am taking every COVID precaution that I can. I am here in a full-bodied face mask just to make sure that I don't spread the virus if I have it. I don't want to close down this wonderful radio station just because I might have COVID-19. So there's been uh, a little bit going on, hasn't there, uh, over the last few weeks uh, in my absence. I guess the, the main thing that uh, consumed what I will call the national conversation and all its toxicity last week was the tedious debate around Australia Day. Now, it just happened to be that last week I had the privilege of hosting the Indigenous X handle, Indigenous X handle on Twitter throughout the course of uh, Invasion Day week, as well as co-hosting some of the breakfasts with Vaughnie and the superb Flick Ford as well as co-hosting Triple R's coverage of the Share the Spirit concert with the deadly Vanessa Morris. There were a lot of things going on that I was doing. I was writing articles for The Guardian and various other things, contributing to articles in The Age. So I was kind of in the thick of the debate, in a way. Now, Australia Day was always a weird day for me, the date where the active oppression, murder and cultural genocide of an entire people kicked off in earnest. To me, it didn't seem like a particularly smart day to celebrate from, a, from an early age. It's like having Australia Day on the 19th of February, for instance, to have a national day of celebration to commemorate the Japanese bombing of Darwin. So if you apply, apply that sort of logic to the argument, it's a pretty, it's a pretty dumb date to, to be having as a national day of celebration. And let's be clear, it's an exhausting week for First Nations people all over the country. You can't escape the discussion either on the street, online on the airways or in the papers. It's a taxing week that leaves many of us exhausted. But there were a couple of things that happened throughout the week that um, strongly indicated to me that the tide is turning when it comes to this noxious discussion, this perennial conversation, this thing that happens year in, year out that ruins January for so many of us. And it was that um, when I was hosting the Indigenous Hacks Handle, I, I, I simply asked a question via Twitter, on the morning of the 26th, I, said, I merely said, good morning, whose land are you on? Now, if I had posted that question, I guess, seven years ago, five years ago even, perhaps, I would have got a number of responses, mainly from blackfellas, stating proudly whose land they were on. But this year, the year of 2021, I literally got thousands and thousands of replies from people from all walks of life. 99% were legit uh, responses, and about 1% were from men that think they're funny because they think their golfing buddies are laughing with them instead of at them. Now, the other thing that um, was uh, interesting, 
about uh, Australia Day in the conversation is that the champions of Australia Day started using Happy Australia Day as an insult, which is interesting. I think you officially know you're buggered when you start using the thing that you love so much as an insult. It means that you acknowledge that the day has become so toxic that it will never become a day of unity, that you actually use the Happy Australia Day welcome and, and, and greeting as a barb. And what I am seeing also is a soft white nationalist signal in a time where soft white national signals are becoming more and more prominent. So, having said all that, I think we are actually making progress here in 2021. It may not feel like it. Uh, we make progress on these matters, especially in light of uh, the Collingwood thing. It may not feel like we're making progress, but we are. Um, there's much more to be said about the Collingwood thing, but I won't say it here tonight. But it's also important to know that history really moves in straight lines. But uh, I'm here to tell you, friends, I think things are changing for the better. We just need to line up a few ducks before... We can really get serious about the way we want to have conversations of this sort in our country. Now, speaking of change, uh, Snake, which is the voice for the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children's sector, has announced that uh, a new CEO is coming on board to take the helm uh, of that very important ship. And it's the only one, uh, uh, one and only uh, Catherine Little, who we've had on the show a couple of times. Um, so we will speak to her about the priorities she sees in that role as we try to save the next generation of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids from becoming part of various systems that we don't want or need them to become part of. And in the second half of the show, you may have heard that last night Uncle Archie Roach won the prestigious Victorian Premier's Literary Award for Indigenous Writing for his brilliant tell-all memoir, Tell Me Why. So I thought I'd replay a conversation I had with him this time last year when the book had just come out and he was planning all things for 2020 like the rest of us. So um, I'll play that in the second half of the show and uh, you'll hear my yarn with him about the book and, and other things. So that's the show for tonight. As always, the best way to get in contact with me is via my Twitter handle at Mr. DT James. Uh, this is the mission. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. And now it's time for uh, tonight's first guest. Now, Snake is the national voice for uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children across the country. It's a non-government peak body for, uh, for the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children sector. It works for the fulfilment of uh, rights for our children to ensure their safety, development and well-being. It was founded in 1981. Snake was called the Secretariat of National Aboriginal Child Care until it was changed to Snake. National Voice of Our Children not too long ago. And it is ple I'm pleased to say it is uh, announced that it has a new CEO that uh, will be starting, I think, um, next week, if I'm correct. And that CEO is um, someone who I'll now call friend of the show because she's been on here probably maybe three times now, uh, Catherine Little. Catherine is an Arundela richer woman from Central Australian regions. She's a journalist. Catherine's worked across all sectors of news and current affairs and production presented news programs for Imparja, NITV and the ABC. She is a prominent voice in our community and it's very pleasing to welcome her back to the mission and congratulations on the new role, Catherine. Hello, Daniel, and thank you very much. And now, yes, I'll start next week. <laughs> wow, the 8th, the 8th, I believe. The 8th. Yeah. This is correct. 
Now, this is, uh, um, like I said, you've spent most of your, your career in, in media. Um, now you're moving across into one of the most challenging, I guess, gamut of issues confronting not only Aboriginal people but the nation as a whole. Um, what made you decide to, to change and, and take on this challenge? Oh, look, I think there's there's a few reasons. So um, uh, I think, like a lot of Aboriginal people, you know, I, I have, I'm an Aboriginal person with a lived experience of mm. being an Aboriginal person. And um, I um, took time off a couple of years ago, actually, and, and I said to my boss at SBS at the time, I said, listen, I... Um, I need to go home. I need to go home because I have to, A, take on story, B, learn a bit of law, and C, the things that make me who I am are not here in this newsroom. They're at home. And uh, I got home and my nana said to me, you know, it's time for you to take on grandmothers. And for us, um, and, and I know all of our mob grandmother law is pretty pretty similar in its wording, but the way my nana describes it is as long as um, children are safe, uh, and they have food in tummy, and they know who will love them. They will be okay. So I spent quite a, you know, I've spent the last few years really working with my nana on those sorts of things. So not only taking on our story, but also making sure I understood what those principles were. And and, and you know, I, I grew up in that environment. I grew up um, with lots of mums and lots of grandmothers and lots of grandfathers and lots of dads. So you know, I, I was never alone. And 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 I've witnessed in my own family where those things have been broken down and where structures have failed and seen our own children go into care and the fight that we have to get them back out. But also, you know, again, being an Aboriginal person with that lived experience, I've also seen the challenges of being able to get appropriate um, early education for our kids and schooling for our kids. So, you know, it's always sort of been there um, and, and I had done some, t- um, some time with the education department on and off in the Northern Territory so it's not something that's unfamiliar with me um, and it's something that resonates with me because you know I am a mum and, and I am a, a grandma. I think it's one of those things that surprises people that sort of work outside Aboriginal affairs and that's when you see uh, leaders uh, go from one sector to another sector to lead organisations or be part of um, a board so seamlessly and, and it is because of that uh, lived experience and um, Aboriginal people are experts across a multiple of portfolio areas, you know, whether it be childcare or whether it be education, justice or health, because they bring that lived experience to to the role. Um, what what do you see as some of the main priorities for 2021 in this space in particular? Yeah, look, look, I think you nailed it there in, in, in actual fact because what we need is systemic change. We really do. It, it, you cannot move one without the other. But certainly my, my understanding is it's certainly in the um, early development, uh, early childhood development space, you know, um, there, there, has, there has been um, an identified need to increase the access um, that our children have to early childhood development. And, and for those of you that don't know this, it's your zero to three, you know, they are the critical early, early learning years, and you've probably seen the ads on television. If you get in that space, if you have enough support for your families and your children at that space, your life outcomes are uh, exponentially better than if you'd had adequate, hadn't had support at that time. So that's, things like that are really, really important. Um, there's also a massive call and, 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 you know, one that's probably needs, you know, government attention and that is for a call for an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander childhood commission 
because without mm. that commissioner, that need for systemic change doesn't have a driver, it doesn't have a lever, and it doesn't have someone who walks into the room and holds government agencies and other people receiving government funding accountable for the funds that are going the spend in this space and making sure that it's not just spending money but actually getting outcomes. And I guess, um, you know, I am a member of the coalition already, of the Coalition of Peaks, and that is all about understanding that if you invest in the community-controlled sector with the agencies who live and breathe this every single day from an Indigenous perspective, you will get better outcomes. Yeah, we saw that with uh, the way that the uh, community control sector was able to deal with COVID throughout the course of last year. Um, you know, really get on the front foot in terms of its uh, public health medicine, but looking after mob and making sure that people were able to get the testing and then the screening that they required and the PPE that they required from a very early basis, on a very early basis in the pandemic. So um, it's, a, it's a sector that's well equipped to deal with a multiple uh, of... Uh, of crises and, and issues. Um, one of the things that came out last year, Catherine, was the, the Family Matters Report, which was a, mm-hmm. a fantastic report that was um, uh, released last year. And I th- we had Sue Ann Hunter on it uh, on the show to talk about it. Um, one, of the, one of the startling things that came out of it was that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children are 9.7 times more likely to be removed from their parents and that mm-hmm. this number is expected to double by 2029. What can we do about that? Where do we even start? Yeah, I think what's even more startling about that at the moment, Daniel, is those numbers have already gone up, and I'm pretty certain I read, I was told today it's up seven, and that's you know in, wow. in <laughs> not a long period of time. Space of six but months. Really, yeah, absolutely, and you know it is getting back to that need for systemic reform in this space, and that need to understand that um, it you. To put the investment, I think at this moment in time, the bulk of the money in the childcare sector goes into what is, you know, loosely termed as protection, when in actual fact what it means is childcare removal um, and child placements external to outside of that. And I think it's something like only 16% of that funding goes into that holistic response that says, you know what, you mob are okay, but what we need to do is make sure that you have the resources and the supports that you require as a parent to give your children the, be- the best life. And, and, you know, being really cognizant and conscious that a lot of our mob are carrying significant trauma, have, um, you know, they suffer from things like social poverty, so being able to pick up the phone and look for help, that's so easy. And, and, you know, if your jobs are limited, your income's limited, you cannot access the services and support that you need. So it's looking at, you know, how do we do this better? How do we invest in early intervention? And how do we make sure our families are better supported? And... I often, you know, you know, and again, as an Aboriginal person, I remember talking to someone about this old grandmother on a, on a town camp and she desperately wanted to look after her babies and she couldn't do that because um, the parents just didn't have capacity and she couldn't do it because she didn't have a car. So when they were sick, she couldn't get to the doctor and then she'd get in trouble for the kids not getting to the doctor. She couldn't buy them uniforms because she didn't have the money to buy school uniforms. She couldn't, um, you know, offer them help with homework because she couldn't speak um, English, as a, she didn't speak English as a first language and she certainly couldn't read or write. And you know what, in a better controlled environment, there would have been supports and structures in place that said, you know what, well, we, if you do this, this is how we get you the support and this is how we make sure that your children are absolutely given the tools that they need to be successful from right from the very, very start. And, and it's not brain surgery, you know, give people the support require 
and acknowledge that there have been multiple systemic failures that have put a lot of these families in the vulnerable positions that they're in the first place. And this is where that the coalition response and the whole government response is so important because at the moment we have nearly one in three Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people living below the poverty line, which speaks to your last point about not being able to get on the front foot with being able to take care of children in a myriad of ways. And um, uh, where does the Coalition of Peaks come into addressing huge issues like that that, that, that ultimately affect Aboriginal children? Yeah, look, largely, uh, look, it, it's massive. And certainly, uh, you know, I know Auntie Muriel, uh, who does most of the talking in this space, you know, she talks about the need for a national a national policy um, that looks at how we deliver services right across Australia that puts community-led childcare in that place and community-led reforms in that place and actually having the political drivers to make sure it happens. But then, of course, making sure that you've got those checks and balances across all jurisdictions of government that make sure that the response isn't just ad hoc and all over the place. Um, and, you know, again, with the Coalition of Peaks, there's more, there's, you know, every single one of us is sort of uh, playing, oh, the word's not, the playing's the wrong word. We're all invested in the same space because we know that without A, um, you can't get B and C in the first place. So it becomes, a, you know, quite a collective push um, and certainly a lot more weight when we move together than if it's just one voice all by itself. Do you think that um, there's there's the political will to, to match the, the will of the the Coalition of the Peaks? So, I mean, I, mm. you know, as a, as a punter, I kind of sit back and, and look at the, the federal government in particular, sort of wax and wane on particular issues around, you know, issues that affect First Nations people. Do you get a sense of whether the political will is there at various jurisdictions to actually address some of these systemic issues? Um, yeah, look, look, I think that's a, that's a complicated, <laughs> a complicated answer, that one, isn't it? Because history would show that uh, agencies like SNAKE and the other bodies have been advocating and leading in this space for a very long time and that the, the um, ambitions of Aboriginal people for more self-determination over their own lives and their ability to make the decisions and respond to the issues impact on them. This is not new. No. <laughs> it has been it has been an ongoing issue. So history would say something's not quite connecting here. Um, but certainly we have to trust that uh, in the partnership that we have with the government through the coalition of peaks that the, the political will is there and, and that is the tool that we have and we have to keep working with it. But um, always always being cognizant and conscious that the, what we're calling for is not new. I'm speaking to the wonderful Catherine Little, who's just been appointed the new CEO of SNAKE, which is basically the, the peak organisation that uh, drives and tries to bring together change to, to um, positively impact on uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids across the country. Uh, might as well chew the fat with you while I've got you, Catherine. What did you make of uh, last week and all the toing and firing around in Invasion Day? Did, did you find that as exhausting as some of some of us did? Oh, I always find it a bit exhausting, actually. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, a lot of that is... I don't know if it's the algorithms on my phone or not or, or the fact that I pay 
the media because, as we know, um, media is something that I've had a long involvement with. And I, and I know that um, my observations have always been where we get a positive story um, that talks about why uh, Australia Day uh, or Invasion Day or Survival Day or however you want to frame it is challenging for our mob and perhaps not an inclusive um, representation of what um, you know, a patriotic, patriotic response to being Australian should be. Um, you get one positive story, you get three negative stories. And mm. um, there's a, there, I do notice that there is a significant amount of goodwill out there. You know, there are people saying, look, we want to support you, but how do we do that? And, and, and you know, also as an Aboriginal person, you then have to have challenging conversations with people so that they um, understand what it is that is so difficult for many of our mob on this day and what it means and what it represents, um, while simultaneously acknowledging that some of our mob actually are not as concerned about it and, you know, that that's often embraced and thrown back to you as, as you know, well, this, this person over here says A and this person over here says B, so who's the right person? Um, <laughs> they're, they're, they're complicated conversations. I certainly find it very challenging and I find it very exhausting and, and I look at it and I think, you know, you know, really, who would it hurt to change that date, really? Who yeah. Would it hurt? I, and it would gain as a nation if we did it. I just, I think one of the most exhausting things, and, you know, you would be acutely aware of this, Catherine, is, you know, being attuned to the to the media like some of us are. <clears throat> um, the, it's just the, the exhaustion and the, the, the nausea around being spoken about <laughs> mm. instead of spoken to on various panel shows, radio programs, mm. written about in, in articles. And, you know, the pick, the picking off, particularly by aspects of, of the Murdoch media in terms of, you know, what are the real issues confronting people in remote communities and, you know, Aboriginal people in urban centres are just, you know, woke people that uh, don't care about those issues, which is, of course, mm. ridiculous. Uh, one of the most exhausting things is, is that conversation being had around you and not to you. Mm. And you can't escape it in some instances. Oh, yeah. Oh, it, it absolutely is. And certainly the, the most challenging of those articles that we're bombarded with. And, you know, this is traumatic. You know, you talk about intergenerational trauma. Um, when we read these articles, they, they trigger traumatic responses. And certainly um, I know it makes me want to, you know, um, yell and scream and cry a lot of the time when I read these things. So I think if I'm a person with a lot of capacity and a lot of things that go right in my life, what is it like for other mobs that have to read this that had a really hard day or sitting in really challenging circumstances? So it, it is um, absolutely exhausting to be spoken about. Um, and it's absolutely exhausting that, um, the, again, you know, the creative industries play a critical role in this space, in, in this space because a lot of the challenges are because people don't know the story. They don't know how we got here. They don't understand that something really horrific happened because our social and national narrative has never really been honest about this brutal act of colonisation. You know, there's nothing gentle about colonisation. It has massive tools of disruption and psychological tools um, that are designed to damage your social fabric so you break down. And you, you think about it today, if, if someone were to turn up to Australia today and say, guess what, we don't like the way you're living. In fact, you're living like uh, what we don't consider a civilised society. So therefore, we are going to override all your trading routes. You no longer mm. have the ability to trade. You no longer have the ability to govern. You no longer have the ability to talk your language. You no longer have the ability to live in your homes and your houses or use your streets. We'll tell you where you can go and what you can do. And by the way, we're also going to take all your kids off you because we think we could turn them into uh, a better 
better version of what we believe they should look like and what success should look like for them. You know, could you imagine what that would feel like if it were to happen today? So understanding that that just didn't happen overnight and that the consequences of that take generations on generations upon generations to write because it is so horrific in its impact. That's bloody exhausting every time you've got to talk about it. I feel like I need a nap and a lie down now, Catherine. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and, that, and, you know, that thing, you know, your water is no longer your water, it's our water and, um, you yeah. know, just the, 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 the continued desecration of water and land over time and everything that was held sacred and seeing, you know, 80% of your loved ones die from smallpox. you think that's going to heal overnight? Do you think that's going to take one generation to get over? No, the reverberations of that trauma are still resonating very strongly today. Um, so good luck with the job. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you start next week. You're based in Melbourne now. So um, as I said to you, fair, if you need any assistance trying to find uh, good coffee in this town, which is not too difficult, I'm more than happy to assist. Also, if you need to find um, a decent football club to support, um, I will um, take you to see the Richmond Tigers play one time and um, you'll be a, a, another part of the Tiger family, which will be fantastic. But um, in the meantime, Catherine... Thank you very much for your time and thanks for coming on the show again and thank you for your work. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. You're listening to The Mission, my first episode of the year. My name is Daniel James. Now, thought I'd play in light of last night's event when uh, Uncle Archie Roach won the prestigious Victorian Premier's Literary Award for Indigenous Writing for his absolutely amazing memoir, Tell Me Why. Now, I had a conversation with him almost exactly this time a year ago when the book had just been released and he was planning things left, right and centre like the rest of us to um, not only promote the book but also play, play his music. Um, he had an amazing performance last week at the Share the Spirit concert at uh, the Maya Music Bowl. He, he's not in the best of health but his spirit is as strong as ever and if you actually want to go back and listen or view that wonderful performance, you can go to rrr.org.au uh, and you will find the coverage of Share the Spirit there or you can watch the uh, the stream of the entire concert from that day. It was um, a wonderful concert. Um, but this was, like I said, recorded this time last year and I started off by asking Uncle Archie, when did he first sing? That's because... That's the kind of obnoxious arsehole I, are, I am to um, ask wide, broad-ranging questions that uh, one doesn't expect. Uh, so we'll pick it up from there. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> it is... Um, I don't know. Um, I, I always enjoyed singing as, as a child, just singing to myself, I suppose. But So you mean the first time I sang in, in front of anybody? Or? Yeah, yeah. Just, you know, it was the first time that you, 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 you performed a song for someone. Oh, okay. Uh, it was probably when I was about, I don't know, um, seven or eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, not not uh, not that old, but um, I used to sing uh, a lot of songs, um, and I, I got up and sang. We used to um, sing it at uh, my foster parents' home there with uh, with family, uh, my foster family, and uh, but they invite. 
my my sister Mary would invite some of her friends from from the church and to come around and play some music, and she she got me up to sing a song. Right. Uh, so they they encouraged you. Yeah, yeah, they certainly encouraged me. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where do you think your life would be without music? Oh, look, I, I, I who knows? Couldn't imagine it. I don't want to imagine it really, but but yeah, it, 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 uh, it certainly. Um, <clears throat> music was a big part of me uh, of my recovery when I when I stopped drinking alcohol and uh, mm. and uh, trying to get myself right and you know uh, straighten myself out. So um, you know, I. I I don't really know what else I'd be doing if it wasn't for music. I'd, I, I did, you know, before we got into music professionally and recording, um, I, 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 I thought that uh, you know, I wanted to work in community, community, mm-hmm. just giving back, you know, um, and uh, giving back to uh, community and people. And uh, so in whatever way I could, I'd probably, I suppose I'd probably be, be, be doing that some, some, some way. Now, you, you, like I said in the, in the introduction, you had a, a very massive 2019. You were everywhere. Your book, Tell Me Why, was released. Were you surprised by how well the, the critical acclaim was for it? It's been very, very well received. Uh, yeah, very surprised. It, was, uh, it wasn't an easy thing to do, to, no, to write imagine. a book. And some of the things that that, that um, we talked about in the book, I I never really talked about before. Mm. So it was, I suppose that was good for me to get that off my chest. So and, you, you, uh, you felt sort of a weight lift once yeah. the once you'd finished and released the book. Yeah, yeah, and uh, but yeah, I, I you know it's like um, we didn't expect um, you know how, how it would be how it was received, but but we're very pleased though. Yeah. So the book, you know, obviously covers your life from, you know, being born in Marupna, um, living in Rambalara for a time, then across yeah. to, to Ramiak, yeah. then the streets of Sydney and the streets of Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Where do you feel most at home? Oh, I, I suppose it's back in, in my mother's, close to my mother's country in southwest Victoria, mm-hmm. a good Nishmara country. Um but I do love going back to I do love going back to uh, Shepparton and Marupna. Every time I go back, I have memories of. Uh, well, Shepparton was a big part of my story as well. But uh, Marupna, I don't. You know, I was just a baby when I was born in Marupna. But I, uh, in my journey back back home, finding my people, uh, I ended up in in Shepparton, and uh, so I still have fond memories of Shepparton. I like. I, I, I do, I do enjoy going back to Shep, yeah. I think I saw you one time. I was coming out of the cemetery at um, Cambragunja and I was heading out. I think I saw you um, heading in. Um, there's so many of our legends and, you know, our elders buried there. Mm. Um, it's it's, it's the, the, the cemetery there is quite amazing. You have William Cooper, you have Sir Doug Nichols, you have yeah. um, Ada Cooper, you have... <laughs> Basically, all of the legends that sort of gave birth to the, yeah. the social justice movement here in here in Australia. That's true. What what takes you back there? Oh, back to what the camera? Yeah. Oh gee, I I just love I just love love yeah I love the river. Yeah. Um, and like you say, the people. Um, but it's yeah, it's that. 
it, that they've always had that 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 um, that spirit, mm. uh, that 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 uh, that reason to to get up and, 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 and fight and do something about their, their circumstance, uh, and especially how government you know, treated the people there. And I think that's that's probably the main reason they do because it has that feel mm. about it, with that spirit uh, of country, of place that that, that uh, um, they certainly did. You know, since you know, like you know, since back to those legends you just remembered, William Cooper and all, uh, and the walk off. Yep. Uh, and uh, they just wouldn't uh, wouldn't sit down and, and take. Take it, you know. They actually got up and, and did something about it. At least uh, voiced and uh, protested. Uh, uh, and yeah, so I think it, there's something about that 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 uh, spirit of resilience and uh, and uh, and uh, resistance that that, that uh, takes you back there. Yeah, it's a very um, very special place. It just sort of has mm. its own gravity, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, whenever I drive past, I can't drive past it. A lot of the time, I have to pull in. Yes. Um, last year, you also released um, a, an album to, to go with the book, and that saw you collaborate again with uh, the great Paul Grabowski. Mm-hmm. How did you guys end up working together? Because it's not the first time. No, gosh, back in um, I don't know. Uh not quite sure. It was a while back now, but we we got together and uh, uh, Paul uh, Grabowski wanted to do do something um, uh, about Ruby. Sort of like do a, do a do a some sort of like write some songs and get get a, almost like a musical mm-hmm. around uh, my, my late partner Ruby Hunter's story and the river, the Murray River where she where she's from. So that's when we first started working together and getting songs together for that and uh, and another project as well uh, called Kuratunga in uh, Ruby's Ngunjiri language. But, um, yeah, that's, uh, but we also done a few uh, other things as well uh, with him. So we've worked with him through the years, yeah, so it's good to get back and collaborate again with, with Paul. So, so the album is um, 11 tracks and you've got three new um, tracks on there, mm-hmm. and it's in the main just your voice with with Paul's piano. I mean, it's a fantastic yeah. album. I've played, yeah. I play it all the time on, on the mission, so you can expect a check in the mail <laughs> at some point. Um, yeah. Are you? Um, uh, what sort of um, setup you're looking to take out on the road in um, 2020? Yeah, well, that, that, that's what we've we've, we've been doing. Um, uh, yeah, uh, taking out on on the road. Uh, uh, now is is uh, is basically Paul on piano. Um, the full band is Paul uh, on piano, uh, uh, a double bass player, uh-huh. uh, some drums, and uh, violin and and, and uh, guitarist. So a lovely sparse setup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It gives, gives and it gives the songs a whole lot. Yeah, sparseness and room to breathe, and you. And yeah, time to I know uh, it's a, it's a different way of of playing and, and singing the songs. Like I said, there's, there's more sparseness, uh, and like like I said, uh, room for songs to 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 be to be um, uh, interpreted. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of like a um, you know a big warm embrace for mm. for the story and 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 for your voice and yeah. you know obviously a lot of thought has been given to to 
making those arrangements so it can mm. really highlight the, the personal nature of the stories. That's true, that's true. With, um, with, with the book, um, there's so many, so many revelations in it. I think one of the ones that's obviously shocked, shocked a lot of people is the, the fact that you were an alcoholic at mm. the age of eight. When were you able to shake that drug and has there been any times since then that you've been close to going back? Oh, it's, you know, it took a, took a while. I was, I was, you know, I was only 26 when I gave it away. Mm. But, you know, there, was, there, come, there, there were times when it came close to, to yeah, but I haven't had a drink over, you know, 30 years now. Yeah, it's amazing. And, uh, but um, there were times when you, I don't know, when, when you just, I don't know, um, I came that close probably, you know, just, just a, just a, just, just a little bit close to picking up a drink again, and uh, mm. but but didn't, and I'm, I'm so glad that, that I never did because, yeah, the thing about the thing about uh, you know, being an alcoholic is that you, you don't you, you don't have a drink and sort of just just say oh well uh, you know uh, uh, that wasn't too bad. You just go straight back to to where you finished mm. where you finished your drink and straight back to square one, and, and it's like. You never, you never stopped at all, and so I, don't, I never want to ever, ever do that again. Yeah. It's, I think it's a real testament to to the strength that you have around that. Is you work in the Australian musical scene, <laughs> you work in pubs, yeah. you work with, you know, you've probably worked with numerous heavy heavy drinkers, yeah. party animals, oh, yeah. and and yeah. the like, and yet you still have the the resolve not to partake. I think that's something you should obviously. Amongst many other things, be tremendously proud of. Yeah, yes, I am. It's, but um, you know, like I, I understand. I think I understand a, a lot more about about drinking, and uh, especially if you if you you're an addict, if you become addicted to alcohol, and any sort of substance or drug, um, you know, you, you, uh, it's 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 just so much better not to. But you understand that, that other people, you know. Uh, whether socially or they have a problem, that uh, uh, it's not for me to say. Yeah, and uh, you know, and so it's just part of part of part of what I, what I do, and I see it. I see it around me, but it's like yeah, I don't have to partake, and that, that's a good thing. It, it, it's the company and, and the people that that I that I enjoy, and I suppose I find comfort comfort in in, in that, and that 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 helps me as well. What was it like being nominated as um, the Australian of the Year? That, that was a big surprise. Very, <laughs> very surreal. I, I didn't expect that at all. I, yeah, I, I, I thought you know, being you know, someone else when they had the Victorian representative when they announced the, the Victorian reps, uh, I didn't think I had a chance at all considering who else was was nominated. But I was so that just uh, I don't know. I was I was stunned for a while, and I thought, wow. This is, uh, but I thought about it for a little bit, and I thought, well, you know, it's a, it's a big thing, uh, you know, and you know, and, and a lot of, lot of, lot of, you know, and a few people through the years, you know, uh, First Nation, Aboriginal, uh, Indigenous, whatever we, we we wish to call ourselves, um, have, have 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 actually been Australians of the Year, and, yeah, uh, and, and and it's hard to weigh up. You know, between who who you are, you know, I mean, as as a First Nations person, 
and as an Australian, try to try to balance that somehow to 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 see more to be more inclusive or representative of, of, of all Australians, and uh, and it's very hard when 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 yeah, as a young bloke, as a person growing up through the years, it hasn't you haven't been sort of a, a afforded the same luxuries as mm. the, like inclusiveness and and that, but but you, you've got to. You've got to weigh up those things and try to try to I don't know um, try to be a better person because of it. So yeah, it was it was tough, you know. And I'm, I'm sort of glad in a way that I wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't 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 get the gong, but but it was you know it was it's like yeah you know, it's good to be recognised for what you do, and and so yeah, I imagine you know that that, that internal conflict that you speak of, mm. you know that. Mm. You know the fact. You know the way you've been treated by Australia over the years, and the fact that um, you know the, the ceremony takes place itself on you know Invasion Day. Mm. Um, that you've just described what a what a you know intense conflict that mm. is. You know, right. but at the same time you feel honoured. Yeah. And if you be if you're actually were bestowed with the honour. Then there's a huge responsibility that yeah. sort of comes along with that at the moment. Exactly. Um, yeah. Have you ever been um, named Gunditjmara Man of the Year? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I know there's somebody. Yeah, there's somebody because I admire other other countrymen. I admire. Yeah, it's a pretty uh, pretty tough field. It, it is, and and, and and you know, like, uh, yeah, but <laughs> that's quite that's that's a, that's quite funny. Sorry, I, I, no, no, but but no, but. Uh, but who knows? You know that, that, that may may crop up sometime. Yeah. You've you've had a massive 2019. You're hitting the road in in 2020. Is there anything else that you're you're working on this year, or you're just going to perform? No, well, perform. But I, you know, you you never know. I'd like to, I'd like to be able to write uh, s- some more songs, and you always always hoping to write. You know, as a songwriter, singer songwriter, you. You always, yeah, you, know, you always trying to hope, yeah, hoping to to write that 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 one 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 real deadly song, you know. That that uh, you got a, you got a few under your belt, yeah. But uh, you know, it's it's it's. Um, I don't know. I just just I just love to be able to to write a few more songs and mm. and, and just keep that going. And, and hopefully, you know, it's not all dried up. There's still something there in the well. Yeah. You know, and. Um, but yeah, but but like you know, this isn't uh, yeah. Like I say, it's it's it's, it's uh, we're, we're going to break things up and uh, and uh, due to due to due to my health, it's it's pretty good. It, it could be better, but it's mm-hmm. the way it is. Uh, but but and age as well. But I still love doing what I do and uh, yeah. performing and doing shows is is probably uh, something that I'll, I'll hopefully never tire of for a little while. Yeah, great. In terms of um you know, if you don't mind, if I ask a question about your health, how is no, your no. how is your health at the moment? Oh well, you know, it, it's it's it, it's um, yeah, probably if it's probably managed, I'm I'm okay. You know, but sometimes you you get a bit slack, you know, mm-hmm. and, and and you think oh, I'm okay, or I probably won't take that uh, medication today or whatever, and, and then yeah. it's the worst thing you can do, you know. But um, yeah, but but you know, but if you look after, if you if I manage it all, all right, my health all right, or, 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 or the problems, or, or should I say, you know, my illness or whatever, mm. 
um, that I'm okay. And that's what it's about. It's about managing, able to manage, manage what, uh, uh, what pain or whatever, whatever health uh, problems you have. And if, you, if you're doing that right and correctly, uh, I, I'm okay. Yeah. yeah, well, there's a lot of people that um, care for you and care about you, so please, mm. you know, take those medicines as prescribed, please. <laughs> I will. <laughs> um, tell me why the album is now available through Bloodlines Music and it's available in all stores and online. And tell me why Archie's amazing biography is available in all good book- bookstores. It actually got a rating, it's very critically acclaimed, it actually got a rating of 4.67 on um, Goodreads. And um, as we know, the internet is brutal when it comes to um, uh, uh, reviewing things online. But, um, you know, that's um, pretty much as good as it gets. So Mm. congratulations on the book. Congratulations on your career. And um, once we get some dates, I'll um, I'll plug them on the album. I'll keep playing your songs. So, you know, look out for those checks. No, no, that's too too deadly. (laughs) Cheers. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. <laughs>